Isaiah chapter 1 says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins were as scarlet, now they are white as snow. Amen. Man, just look out the window. What a beautiful scene the Lord has given us. And, and, and we can all take some credit for this, right? Because we have all been praying like crazy for the snow to come. So we say, thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers and bring it on. Right? Bring it on. Absolutely. Well, we know who the intrepid souls of IBC are this morning, don't we? Either you're intrepid souls or you have a four-wheel drive. One of those two things is happening. (laughs) Maybe both. Maybe both. But I am so glad that you are here. And uh, a special treat for me and for Lisa today uh, is that we have my sister and her family out from Colorado uh, sharing some time with us. And so they're right here on the front. I won't make them stand up, but that's who's over here. And... uh, so I am so grateful for that. It's just been a few times over the many years that we've actually shared a Sunday morning together, mostly when we would go back to Colorado, but now you get to be with us today. So awesome thought. And you, maybe you brought the snow with you. Huh? Good. We have to come every week now. We, we, we would like that. Oh, that's good. Well, let's enjoy God's word together as part of our worship of the Lord. That's why you came today was to worship him and to enjoy his company. John chapter 19 in the New Testament, I'll invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to that place, John chapter 19. If you got out the door without your Bible this morning, we keep some in the back and we're glad to share a copy of God's Word with you. And in the bulletin, if you don't know the drill, there is a little uh, note page that we provided that may be of some help along the way, so I'll ask you to retrieve that as well. Seven words. That is the name we have given to a study series that we launched two mornings ago. And if you've not been with us since we made that launch, uh, this is a series that is devoted to taking a closer look at each of the seven statements that Jesus makes while he is hanging on the cross, dying for you, dying for me, paying sin's penalty for us in in that way, sin's penalty that we could never pay Jesus pays the penalty. The Holy Spirit, through the pens of the gospel writers, wants us to know that our Savior was not silent as he endured the horrors of the crucifixion. He spoke from the cross at least seven different times. And each of Jesus' seven words is really a treasure of truth. It's, it's a, it's a not-so-secret way, since these are statements made and they're in the Bible for us, These are not-so-secret ways for us to actually be able to enter with reverence and with awe and wonder into the very thoughts, into the very feelings, the, the emotions, the priorities, most importantly, allowing us to enter into the very heart of Jesus at the moment of his greatest suffering and sacrifice. Now, the reason that we determined to take on the seven words at this particular time in our church family year is because Easter and Resurrection Truth is not very far away, just a few weeks out, actually. And so we thought that by spending some time with Jesus and his cross words, uh, that would be a great way to kind of help begin to get our hearts and minds primed and ready for that very special time. Uh, Christmas and Jesus coming into the world usually... Uh, gets the lion's share of our energy and our attention and our preparation in the Christian, the Christian's year. 
But really, Easter and the resurrection should garner no less of our attention or our time. Because without a resurrection, we have no salvation, right? We have no future. We have no hope. We are lost. We are dead in our sin. So if the crosswords of Jesus can help us in these weeks running up to be better prepared to celebrate Jesus' resurrection, well, that's a good way for us to spend some mornings together. So the very first words that Jesus spoke as he hung from the cross that dark Friday morning were framed as a prayer. We talked about this. These are words that Jesus spoke literally as he would have been looking up, looking up towards heaven. With a prayer, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. These are words of forgiveness spoken to all those who were present and participating in Jesus' death that day. But actually, they are words that were spoken to the entire human race. And quite honestly, they were spoken to each one of us as well. And we we explored that truth together. They let us know where Jesus was coming from. Even in the agony of his crucifixion, his heart was for those that he was dying for. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. Father, forgive them. In the second statement, which we looked at last time, Jesus shifted his gaze from looking up to looking to the side, into the eyes of a a broken and repentant rebel who was hanging on a cross next to him. And to that desperate man who knew that he was hours away from dying, and, and he looks to Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He realized that Jesus was more than a man. He realized that Jesus was the Messiah, his only hope. And so he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, with his second words from the cross, utters these, these remarkable words, truly I say to you, today you will be with me where? In paradise, you're going to be with me forever in heaven, together. Luke 23, 43. So those were words of salvation that Jesus spoke. They remind us of the fact that it is never too late to accept the gift of eternal life. Even in the 11th hour and 59th minute, one can ask Jesus to come into one's life and bring uh, forgiveness of sin. And, And no one, regardless of the kind of life they have lived, because that guy was a rebel for sure. He was a revolutionary. We even called him a terrorist. No one is beyond the reach of God and the grace and love of Jesus. Amen? And this moment reminds us of that great truth. Well, today we come to this third crossword statement of Jesus found in John chapter 19. And and as Jesus speaks this time, he is going to be looking down. He's looked up. He's now looked to the side. Now he's going to be looking down. He's going to focus his eyes through the blinding pain, the agony of his suffering, into familiar faces. In particular, he's going to look into the face of his mother and into the face of one of his closest disciples, a man named John. These will be words of love and care, and we read them in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 19. But let's not start with those two verses. Let's let's step back just a little bit more, get a run at these verses, kind of reinsert ourselves into the scene of the cross uh, by beginning at verse 16. So if you'll find that place in your Bible, allow me to read for us. This is how John, moved by the Holy Spirit, presents all of this to us. Verse 16. 
So Pilate delivered Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And then we close in on Jesus' words. Verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, because that's how John refers to himself in his gospel. He never tells you his name. He says, I'm the the one whom Jesus loved. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom Jesus loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And we'll stop our reading right there. To give the third of Jesus' crosswords the title, Words of Love and Care, is perhaps maybe a little misleading since love and care, if we think about it, are actually what drive all seven of his statements. But here in verses 26 and 27, we do see the incredible personal and tender love of Jesus as even from the cross he determines to make sure that his human earthly mother is cared for for the rest of her days. These are words of love and care. Now, we all are familiar with the deep and abiding love relationship that exists between a mother and her children. It really needs no elaboration. We kind of all get it. The mother-child bond is a timeless bond. No matter how old her children are, they're never going to not be her kids, right? For a mother, her children are, are something extra special. I see this continually in my own home with my wife, Lisa, as I watch her interact with our two adult children. She treats them with the same kind of love and affection and care that she treated them when they were very tiny. And now they're closing in on 30 years old. And that doesn't feel very good for me in the moment, but I'm going to forget that thought. But to think of Lisa caring for them, it's just a mother's heart to care for her children. There's just something about that that everybody can relate to, everybody can identify with. In fact, advertisers know this very, very well. They will, for example, put on the TV screen for us this gigantic, huge 
six foot seven, 320 pound professional football player. They'll put him on screen um, with his mother, who will be holding a bowl of Campbell's soup, right? And she is going to make sure that her little boy is getting his proper nutrition, right? The advertisers get it. They understand this relationship. Um, He may be an all-pro player, but, man, his mom still watches out for him like he was a little boy. And, and how often when a camera goes down into a, into a crowd or, 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 or goes down onto the sidelines of a, of a game, do you see someone who knows the cameras on them? What is it that they almost just blurt out without even trying or thinking? What do they say? Hi, Mom! Right? I mean, of all the things they could say, that's what they say because of the relationship between a mother and her child. There's just something special about that. And it has been so for really all of human history. Constant subject of, of poems and songs and stories. It's, it's one of the most easily observed and yet maybe one of the hardest um, relationships to fully understand. Uh, but it's there. At the core is this thing called love of a mother for her child. And bound up with all of that are other things such as, as provision and Protection, affection, sympathy, support, compassion, comfort, devotion, tears, cheers, sacrifice, and on and on and on. We find all these words to kind of bring together to explain this relationship. But all of it flowing out of a deep and enduring love. For me, one of the most vivid memories of the mother-son relationship in particular came to me uh, while I was in my in my high school days, the Vietnam was still Vietnam War was still going on at that time, which definitely dates me. Um, but I was about to turn 18 years old, and and that meant that I had to register for the draft. And quite by accident, within days of having to go down to the draft office and register, I just by chance happened to walk in on my mom and dad on a Saturday afternoon. Who were, and they were watching a documentary on television about the Vietnam War. Now, probably not many of you can recall a TV program that you saw 40 years ago. But given the circumstances in my life at that moment, I remembered this program and a particular moment in this program. A journalist was interviewing an American soldier who had just come from a fierce firefight, a battle, and he looks like that. He's, he's exhausted. He's caked with red Vietnamese soil on his uniform, black powder stains and sweat stains on his streaking his face. And he told of being in a bomb crater with shells going off everywhere and smoke and noise and the cries of the wounded, the shouts of the commanders and machine gun fire and all this stuff. And the soldier pauses in the midst of this interview and he says... I was hunched down in this hole, and in the crater next to me, uh, I could hear the terrified voice of another soldier saying over and over and over, Mommy, 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 Mommy. Now, given where I was at, about to register for the draft, potentially could be in that place, that moment was not lost on me. I am telling you. 
I remember it as if it were yesterday, obviously, as I recount it to you. That scene and those words communicated to me like nothing else could have communicated to me the horror of that place. A grown man, a battle-trained soldier wanting his mama. Brothers and sisters, in, in John 19, we are observers of a scene more horrific than any wartime battle. Here's the conflict between heaven and hell. And at stake are the eternal souls of every human being who has ever lived or whoever will live. And yet in the midst of this terrible scene, that the incredible relationship of Mary and Jesus is going to be displayed for us. An earthly mother and God's own son are going to put on display in this setting an incredible demonstration of love and care. We see the relationship unfold even in the words of verse 25. If you look at those again, standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother. Your version may actually say near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Either way, supported by friends, Mary has come to the place of execution. I would have you, if you are accustomed to writing in your Bible, circle that word by or the word near in your Bible because it is a loaded word implying so very much. And when you come back to this place, I would not have you miss this thought. She cannot stay away. She has to be there. And she has to be right there by the cross, near the cross. Tell me, is it even possible for us to fathom what is going on in Mary's heart as she looks upon Jesus? Only another mom, perhaps, can enter into her anguish. But even then, I'm not real sure about that. Mary is older now. The hair on her temples is graying slightly. And the lines of age have replaced her youthful skin and Her hands reflect the years of work in a world without mechanical devices. She can barely stand as she looks on the crucified form of Jesus. She is a torrent of thoughts and emotions and feelings. Her mind, no doubt, would trail back to images as vivid right that moment as they were at the time that they happened. That long, seemingly endless ride on a little donkey to Bethlehem. She would remember that as she stands by the cross of Jesus. That little barn behind the motel, arranging fresh straw in a feeding trough that would be her child's first cradle. The shepherds who came and said that angels were singing her newborn son's birth. She would remember that as she's near the cross. Strange visitors who called her son the king and gave him gifts to match. She remembers how she and Joseph became fugitives of Herod's hatred, fleeing to Egypt to save Jesus. She remembers thinking, he's too little to be a threat to anyone, especially to a king. Why is he being hated so? She remembers the years in Nazareth and the addition of more children into her life, half-brothers and sisters of Jesus. 
And then she remembers that time in Jerusalem when Jesus was 12 and they had gone to the city and, and then they left, but Jesus stayed behind without telling anyone and she was so afraid. She was panicked. She wondered what had happened to him and she goes back to the city with Joseph and they find Jesus and he is with the religious leaders of the day and he's interacting, he's dialoguing with them and, and she remembers the expression on Jesus' face as if to say, what are you worried about? I'm supposed to be here about my Heavenly Father's business. She remembers. Those were good days. And then Joseph died. But Jesus was there, providing by means of his carpentry skills and watching out for her as the oldest son would do. And so she felt secure. And then her mind races in verse 25. And she remembers the day that Jesus came into the house, took off that nail apron, and set it on the table. She recalled how his face looked different. It was set. His eyes were strong. His voice was firm. And he said, I must go. John the baptizer is preaching in the wilderness. It is time. They said goodbye, and somehow she knew it would never be the same. She knew that that this was, in a sense, the time that she would have to let him go. He didn't belong to her. He never really did belong to her. But he'll belong to many now, and she cannot keep him from his Heavenly Father's business. She doesn't want to. But standing by the cross, she never thought, that it would come to this. It could not hurt more for her in this moment if someone had plunged a knife right into her heart. And that's when she remembers that strange encounter with an old man at the temple just eight days after Jesus was born. Mary and Joseph had taken Jesus up to the temple to present him to the Lord there as was the custom of the day for the firstborn son. And there they meet an old man named Simeon. She remembers Simeon taking Jesus into his arms. In fact, I invite you to keep your finger tucked here in John 19, but would you run back to the left in your Bible, back into the Gospel of Luke, it's the one right next to John, and find Luke chapter 2 for a moment. Let's read this moment together that no doubt would have been in Mary's heart and mind at the foot of the cross. Luke chapter 2, verse 38. Here's what we read. Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation for the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let me stop there. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. 
standing by the cross. She now knows what Simeon meant. This was the fulfillment of his prophetic word, for indeed the sword is being pushed through her heart from point to hilt. Through her tears, she looks upon Jesus. She was the first to plant a kiss on that forehead that is now encircled with thorns. And she was the the one who guided those feet to take their very first steps, which are now nailed to a cross. And she washed countless times, little hands dirty from play, now pierced and bleeding. She was the one who gave him a drink whenever he said, I'm thirsty, but she cannot help him now. How does she bear up? How does she stand? Her heart is being torn to pieces. All of this, I would submit to you, and more, is hidden within the words, standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother. All of this and so much more. But lest we miss it, as you flip your note page over, can I just remind us that as Mary looks upon Jesus here in all of his sinless innocence and his terrible suffering, so too the God of heaven is also looking on. And if a sword of unimagined anguish pierces her heart, capable of only finite human love and having only been part of Jesus' life for some 33 years, How much greater must be the sorrow and the anguish that pierces the heart of God in this moment? His love for His Son is infinite. And their relationship has been in place from eternity past, outside of time. It has been a forever relationship. And what is more, as God looks on this scene in this moment, The Father knows. He knows because He's the one who actually has placed His Son on the cross. How infinitely more must His anguish be, His sorrow be. Mary would never have put Jesus on the cross. But God the Father does. One of the most amazing conversations that I believe is recorded anywhere in Scripture is found in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. I've actually reproduced it there at the top of your note page. I call it the Christmas Eve conversation, and we have shared this at Christmas season uh, a few times over the years. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5, 6, and 7. It is a most amazing dialogue between God the Father and Jesus on the night before while Jesus comes into our world. And here's what we read. The writer says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, what time is that? It's Christmas time, right. When Christ came into the world, he said, Jesus, speaking to God the Father, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. You, Father, have done that. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the book of the scroll. Jesus says, Father, 
Your will is for me to enter the world of sinful humanity, becoming fully human while being fully God, and you want me to die for sinful humanity, be the one last great sacrifice for sin. I will do it because it is your what? It is your will. God, the Father's agonies would infinitely exceed Mary's. Because it was he who had asked his son to hang in his place. He has the power to stop this thing, but he won't. He has the capacity to heal Jesus' wounds and remove the thorny crown and the nails from his hands, but he doesn't. For your sake and for my sake, he does not. Jesus will die in our place. In fact, recall these words, incredible words from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. We'll put them on the screen for you. In fact, I don't think I can read these alone. I'd like to invite you to read them with me. Can we do it right off the screen together? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son. And how can we not think of John 3.16? For God so loved the world, and we can put our names right there in the place of that word world, right? For God so loved Tim, and you put your name there, That he what? He gave his only son. So great was his love. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. One of the greatest verses ever. Yes, God gave his son for us, but surely not without incomprehensible sorrow. Not without tears. Interestingly, this truth was not lost upon director Mel Gibson when he made the film The Passion of the Christ. In what I believe is one of the most compellingly creative moments of that film, one that I really remember when I think about that film, is the moment when Gibson used special effects to pull way out and way above the hill of Calvary. All the way, 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 way out. Special effects and and you're looking down on Calvary Hill and And then what Gibson does is he takes a single drop of rain and he he just follows that raindrop all the way down from heaven, down, 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 down until it's splashed on the blood-stained earth beneath Jesus' cross. And it was his creative way of capturing this idea, the tears of a holy God who called his son to this death. Brothers and sisters, May we never read the words of verse 25. Standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother. May we never read those words quite the same way again. An earthly mother stands near the cross, yes, but even more so does a heavenly father. And certainly not to take anything away from Mary's sorrow, but truly hers is a shadow. It's a mere shadow of our Heavenly Father's sorrow. A sorrow that He gladly bears because He loves us so. Amen? Amen. 
And all of that is going on. And that's when Jesus speaks these, these words, the third time, words of loving care from this most unlikely of locations. Through the pain of his own agony, he looks down upon the emotionally shattered form of his mother. He sees as well the other faithful women who are his followers. And he sees his beloved disciple John there as well. And he says, Woman, behold your son. And to the disciple John, Behold your mother. You know how in the movies the camera can zoom in on a scene that has lots of characters in it and can zoom in so that the background just kind of fades away and all the other characters fade away and you're just focusing in on on a, on a very select group. Well, as Jesus speaks these words, that's kind of how I feel like this moment goes. He focuses on Mary and on John And it's kind of like that. Everything else just sort of fades out of view. And for a fleeting moment, on the hill of Calvary, there are just three people. Jesus, Mary, and John. Occupied with the most enormous, far-reaching, life-changing, eternity-changing task in the history of the universe, taking the penalty of our sin upon himself, nevertheless, Jesus sets all of that aside long enough to lovingly care for his earthly mother. It's an incredible window into the heart of our God. That though he is universally aware, he is totally in control, he is completely sovereign over all things macro and micro, the universe of all things created, both seen and unseen, He is nevertheless, church family, he's nevertheless attentive to a single soul, even with all that that goes on in our our universe. You and I are known to our God individually, by name, right down to the number of days that we will live on this earth, right down to the number of hairs that are on our heads, tell us, the scriptures tell us. We are not just nameless, faceless members of the mass. We are known to God, each one of us. And in this moment, in this scene, with all that is going on in Jesus' life, He is aware of this one woman. Notice what Jesus does. Looking down at Mary, He says, Woman, Behold your son. Maybe your translation says, Dear woman, here is your son. And as he says this, he starts by looking at Mary, and then his head tilts slightly and his focus shifts over to John. Be sure that you mark that fact as as you read these words. He's not referring to himself. He's not asking Mary to look at him. He's not saying, Mary, look at me, your son. He says, dear woman, and then he focuses on John, and he says, dear woman, here is your son. And then looking at John, he says, and you, behold, here is your mother. That's what happens in this moment. What is Jesus doing? 
What, he, what he's doing, I would submit to you, is he's making sure that Mary knows that, that on an earthly, physical, and material level, she is going to be well taken care of by John. After he's gone, she's going to be well cared for. Apparently, Joseph has been dead for some time, but Jesus has made sure that Mary has always been provided for, and that is not going to stop. Although Mary had other children, Jesus makes certain for the rest of her days, there will be someone there for her, caring for her as he would have cared for her. And who better to do that than John the one who maybe more than any of the other disciples understood the kind of love that Jesus loves her. John will love Mary like she was his own mother. And Jesus knows this, or he would never have asked him to do this. And so even in this unlikely moment, Jesus is fulfilling a a sacred obligation. He's living out the fifth commandment, I would submit to us. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. God's words engraved on stone tablets in the Old Testament. The fifth commandment. How does it go? Honor your father and your mother. Jesus is doing that. He is caring for his mother in this moment. In fact, the Holy Spirit repeats this commandment in the New Testament so we know that it's a timeless command. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. It's the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. It's a command we never outgrow, right, church? We never outgrow this commandment. And here Jesus beautifully models that. Even while securing our eternal future, our salvation, Jesus is looking out for Mary's earthly future. It is a window into the heart of our God. But there's something else Jesus is doing in these words beyond just making sure that Mary is cared for physically and materially. He's also making sure that spiritually she's being cared for as well. How do we know that? By what he says. He says, woman, behold your son. And he directs her to John. And what he's doing, he is lovingly and tenderly discontinuing their human relationship and inaugurating the eternal spiritual relationship that she must have with him. Mary, for her own sake, had come to the place of seeing Jesus with more than just a mother's eyes. She knew who he was. But even in this this word woman, Jesus is sending a message Jesus doesn't call Mary his mother. Even though if there was ever a time when we would expect that to have happened, it would have been right here, right? Right here. But he doesn't do that. He calls her woman. In essence, asking her not to look at him as her son, but rather as her savior. And that is how she needed to see him. It's even as the Apostle Paul will, will say to the Corinthian church, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. For even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. We no longer see Jesus like we did one time when our understanding was so physical and earthbound. He, our understanding of him has changed. 
In fact, had Jesus the opportunity, had he perhaps had the strength, he might have uttered a fuller statement to his mother in this moment, saying, woman, John can play the role of earthly son and provider for you now, but I am more than that to you. I am God incarnate. I am am the sacrifice for your sin, Mary. Yours and all the others who will believe in me, and I need to be more than a son to you. I need to be a savior to you, a Lord to you. Jesus loved Mary too much to allow their relationship to exist on an earthbound only mother-son level. In fact, you know, it's really interesting that there is not one recorded instance in Scripture of Jesus ever calling Mary mother. Not one. Did you know that? Not one. You may say, why? Why would that be? Well, for you and me, able to look back over time and history, we, I think, have the answer to that question. In his omniscience, Jesus knew that a grievous system of Mary worship would arise even though he never once called her mother. The idolatry that would emerge within that belief system would find millions, in fact, even billions of people over time rendering unto Mary the worship and the honor that was due to Jesus alone. And he is not about to encourage that. It will happen all by itself. Woman, look to John now. And John, here is your mother from now on. And so Jesus' words are words of loving care for Mary on two levels, caring for her physical welfare, caring for her spiritual eternity. And all while he is hanging between heaven and hell with the sin of mankind and the wrath of God about to fall upon him. Even here, he can care about a single individual and be totally focused on them. You know, that says volumes to me about the care that Jesus has for me and the care that he has for you. After seeing this, I never have to wonder if the world and all of its problems are so big to God and he is so preoccupied that he cannot be concerned with me. He's too distracted, too overwhelmed to take note of me or to hear my cries for help. I never have to wonder about that. If it didn't happen here on Calvary, with all that Jesus is enduring, if it didn't happen there, it isn't going to happen. He lovingly will care for you and me physically. And he displays that so powerfully in this moment. It's no wonder Peter can write in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast the whole of your care, all of your anxiety, all of your worries, all of your concerns, once and for all on him. Why can we do that? Because he cares for us. He cares for us affectionately. He cares for us watchfully. The loving care of Jesus for us captured in this moment. I'm so glad to have it. This third word. Well, all of that leads me to pose two practical questions as we get ready to head for home. The first question is this. 
How are things going between you and your parents if they are still living right now? How are they going? Clearly, Jesus modeled for us here that honor and care of mothers and fathers is something that we never outgrow. And so I would ask, how are you doing with this relationship that you have with your parents? if they're still living, whether you're 12 years old or whether you're 62 or 72 and your parents are still here. Young people, I would just ask you this morning because this is a big deal to our God. Honoring and respecting your parents in your words and in your actions, does that happen in your life? Are you doing that? Is that reflected in your obedience and in the choices that you are making? Are you honoring your mother and your father? Is it expressed in the form of of gratitude and and, and thankfulness and appreciation? And what does that look like? Because I would have you to know it is really, really hard for a mom and dad to parent well today. Parents, would you agree with that? It is really hard. And so gratitude and obedience, those are ways that you demonstrate your respect and in that way you are reflecting the person of Jesus in this moment that he's on the cross caring for his mother. How are you doing? And you know, over the years, I have seen some of this church family's amazing demonstrations of care for an aging mother or father. The lengths that you have gone to to care for a mother or a father in their old age. Great stories. Wonderful examples of adult children who understand God's command to honor parents is always in force. It never ends. If our parents are living, how are we loving them today? Well, I hope. And second, where are you standing right now in relation to the cross of Jesus? I would take us back again to verse 25. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and the disciple Jesus loved. Let me remind us of a fact that might have escaped our notice first time through. John was one of ten other disciples who on the night before the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane had abandoned Jesus in the moment that he was being arrested. Do you remember this? Everybody runs. John, along with all the others who had pledged undying loyalty to Jesus and said, if you're going to die, we're going to die with you, Jesus. Well, in that moment when it really mattered, they did not do that. John and all the rest ran. John was one of the sheep who was scattered when the shepherd was taken. And yet, despite that low moment in his relationship with Jesus, here he is in verse 25 near the cross right underneath the cross. He comes back. He doesn't stay away out of guilt or shame or embarrassment because he can't. Jesus meant too much to him. So he comes back. He comes near. And what I would would have us see is that he comes back because he knows he can come back. He knows he can. He knew Jesus would not turn him away. And in coming back, John is granted a blessing and an honor that is absolutely extraordinary. To be entrusted with Mary's care 
for the rest of her days to be Jesus' designated guardian for his mother. And that would never have happened had he not come back. Because he knew he could come back. Where are you standing with Jesus today? How close are you living to the cross of Jesus today? Are you near? Are you near? Have you drifted? Is the cross kind of hard to see? Jesus died a horrific death for you. He died that death for me, and he wants us near him. Do you need to come back? Do you need to draw close? Reaffirm your loyalty? Reaffirm your love? There's nothing that can keep you from the foot of Jesus' cross except you. And maybe in this room, somebody doesn't need to just come back. Maybe you need to come for the very first time to the cross of Jesus. Have you done that? Have you said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to cover the sin in my life with your life. I need a new beginning. I need a, I need a fresh start. I, I want to come near to you. And with a simple and genuine faith, just tell you, I want you in my life. That's why Jesus hung on the cross for you so that you might come near to him and never, ever be separated from him again. How are you doing with your mom and dad? And how are you doing with Jesus? Two very practical questions that flow out of this third word from the cross. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never, away. How good is that to know? Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we rejoice. We say thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for reaffirming our relationship with you this morning. We thank you for our parents today. Even if they perhaps weren't all that we would have wanted them to be or hoped they might be, they're who you gave us. May we honor you well by how we care for them. And may we be near your cross. Underneath your cross. In faith, loving you, loyal to you, our whole life long. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.